Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. I heard this story a couple of years ago about the world wars and there's a picture, yeah, there's a picture, you can't quite see it, but there's a picture of their Jews in a carriage about to be carted off to be killed, literally killed or gassed or whatever. And I heard this story, I can't exactly remember where I heard it, but it stuck in my mind. And backing onto the railway line was a church, and every Sunday the Jews would be carted off in, in this train, about to be gassed. And this church would basically turn the music up and sing louder to drown out the noise of the Jews that were screaming. And I thought about that, and I thought, that's crazy. I mean, I can't believe that, that a church... I mean, imagine the Jews on the back of this church, and we could hear them screaming right now, and we just whack the music up and we just start singing louder. I mean, how would you feel? And I thought about that and I thought, I wonder if I was in that church back then, whether I would have stood up and said something. I wonder if I would have stood against all the Germans and said, this is not going to happen, this shouldn't be happening. Or whether I'd turn up the music and sing louder. And God started to talk with me and I realised that maybe I wouldn't have. And then I started to think about this generation now, the year 2017. I wonder what people will be saying a hundred years from now, the year 2117, and they're reading through the history books. I wonder what they'll be saying about the church of 2017. I mean, at the moment, when you look around the world, it's crazy, the stuff that's happening around the world. And I'm going to identify this with myself. I went through a period where I just sit, on church, sit in church on Sunday. I was a Sunday Christian. And I'd be, you'd be reading a historical event that David Leslie, he, he comes to church on Sunday, he sings a few songs, puts a few dollars in the plate, and then just repeats that every Sunday. And meanwhile, around the world, 22,000 people are in poverty, slavery at, is at an all time high, Christians are being murdered, their heads are being cut off, people are being you know, taken advantage of. And meanwhile, he sat in church, turned up the music and sang louder. I wonder if that's going to be a historical recollection in the year, in the year 2117 of the church here today. I hope it isn't and I believe it's not. And I believe you and I are in a critical time in history right now that we can stand up as individual believers and as the church and make a difference in this world. Amen? Amen. I believe we are in a critical time. And you need to ask yourself, why were you born in this time in history? Why? You know, God has something for you to do. And what we tend to do is we, we tend to miss one critical thing. And I missed it for many years. We know about the gospel of salvation. We know that we have to go out and save everyone. But there's something we're missing. You know, our actions on earth matter to Christ. They matter to the Lord. And he constantly references our actions on earth with a reward in heaven. We were talking about it last night in 1 Corinthians 3.13 to 3.15. It talks about we will all stand in front of Christ and we'll have to give an account of our life. And it says we will either enter into heaven with a reward or suffering loss as if we've just escaped out of a burning building. And I think about that day all the time. People ask me, what motivates me? I think about that day like Paul does in the Bible. 
Can you imagine that day that you stand in front of Jesus Christ and he goes, okay, what did you do for me on earth? Like how intense that is going to be. You know, face to face with Jesus Christ. And unfortunately for some people, I think there's going to be a lot of regret. They'll be like, man, I, I, I missed it. I just, I just messed around. I kind of just, I did my work thing. I came to church on a Sunday. I, I sh- shot up a few flare prayers, but that was kind of it. You know, and God really spoke to me many years about this. He said, David, your actions, your assignment, your purpose on earth matters to me. And I believe God has a very prophetic message for many of you here today about what he wants you to do on earth. And for many years I missed it, but then I got this revelation of it, and then I just started to study it, and then something broke through in my life. And I believe God's going to do the same with many of you here today. It's going to take you to a whole new level in what he has planned for you on planet earth. Okay? So we know about the gospel salvation, but what are we missing? Well, if you go back in history, we know about Adam and Eve. We know that story. And the question I ask you, well, what did they lose? What did they lose? Did they, did they lose a church? Did they lose a ministry? No, they didn't. They lost dominion. And then we track forward and we have the, the, the earth is flooded. Noah comes along. And then he has a grandson. So he has a son called Ham. And Ham has a grandson called Nimrod. And Nimrod started the first kingdom of our time, which is called Babylon, okay? Babylon. Now, Babylon enslaved millions of people, and it was countercultural to God's economy. If you flick to the next slide here, you'll see on this slide here, that's kind of like a picture of Babylon, and in the middle of it was a ziggurat. Now, in the Bible, it talks about the Tower of Babel. It wasn't actually a tower that wound up all the way to heaven. It was actually a ziggurat. And if you go to the next slide... You'll see there, there's one in present, um, present day. It's a ziggurat at the town of Ur where Abraham came from. That's been excavated. And that, is, that was in the part of southern Babylon, okay? That's what a ziggurat looks like. Now, Nimrod would sit up on top of this ziggurat and he was looking out upon his kingdom. And this is where the concept of the all-seeing eye comes from. If you flick to the next slide, you see the American dollar there. That's where the all-seeing eye comes from. It comes from Babylon, okay? That's where it all originated. Now, I have a question for you. If Babylon ceased to exist in 589 BC, then why does God, in the book of Revelation, refer to it as an abomination, the mother of prostitutes, and he wants to pour his wrath out upon it? Why is that? And I'll tell you why. The reason for that is Babylon's culture is well and truly alive in us in today's culture today. It's a reason for greed, lust, unrighteousness, prostitution, fear, homelessness, poverty, slavery, disease, substance abuse, pornography, homelessness, debauchery, starvation, and the list goes on and on. That's all originated out of Babylon. All right? So remember, when, as we track through, Babylon is based on greed and unrighteousness. All right? That's the reason we have so much social distress in today's society. Now, here's an interesting point, which may challenge some of you this morning. We have caused much of this social distress in how we conduct ourselves in our culture. Because we, even, us as Christians, operate 
in this Babylonian culture. All right? Now, to give you an example of this, if you go to the next slide, here is a picture of a lady called Susan. Now, she's a slave, a present-day slave in Australia. In Australia today, we have 4,300 people living in slavery. Now, you'd never think that, would you? That's here in Australia, through human trafficking, forced labour, debt, bondage, whatever it might be. She was a slave in southwest of Sydney. She was forced to, to work 18 hours a day. She would eat food from underneath the dining room table. She's verbally abused, given a bag of rice to, to eat every few days. And this is happening in our country, in Australia. There's been multiple court cases involving sex slavery in our country. I recently heard a story of even these six-year-olds and they, they were waiting outside a, a, a toilet one day and four of these boys took a disabled six-year-old girl into the toilet whilst one boy stood guard and they sexually abused her. Six. And it's disgusting. And I think to myself, how can that happen in our society today? God hates this. God wants that eliminated. And it's up to us, us as Christian believers, we are called to eliminate this stuff. All right? We are called. He wants to bring the kingdom of God to earth. You know, because I think for the last hundred years, at the turn of the century, we had Christian men and women, all right, in very prominent places in the society, in corporate, in entertainment, in education, in this country. And what's happened over the last hundred years is we've been so focused on getting people to heaven when, we, when they die that we've forgotten about bringing the kingdom of God to earth whilst we live. Yeah. And I believe it's our time now. You know, and you say, well, how do we know that that's what God wants? Well, look at the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's heaven like? No poverty, no crime, no prostitution, no sex slavery. That's what he wants on earth. The lady that spoke before, Matthew 25. Love what you were saying. You know, I've asked people, how does God sort us out? You know, in Matthew 25, it says, I'm going to come and sort the nations, the goats and the sheep. All right? How does he sort them out? Well, most people go, well, if I go to church on Sunday, if I pray the prayer, well, I'll be on the right. I'll be with the sheep. Well, that's not what he says. What does he say? He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. You're the ones. You're my sheep. You're the ones that are on the right. The rest of you that are causing these issues, you're on the left. Now, when you look at that scripture, that's a confronting scripture. Because I sat in church for many years thinking, well, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I don't swear that much. You know, I, I, I'm pretty good. I don't get drunk. I don't do any of that. And I, I thought, that's it. But God's going, no, your vision is so limited. You are called to do so much more for the kingdom. Each of us are called to do so much more for the kingdom. Isaiah 58 is another example. These people are praying. They're trying to get the attention of, the, of God. They're, going, they're praying and they're fasting. And it's almost like God has got his, eye, his ears blocked. He's saying, I'm not listening. And he says, the reason I'm not listening is you're oppressing your workers. You're operating out of Babylon. You're opera operating with greed and corruption in the marketplace. So I'm not listening. And then it changes in Isaiah 58. He says, you start looking after the poor and the needy. You start doing all this. He says, you have my attention. 
and he starts kind of leaning forward and his ears are open. He said, you do that. He said, I will guide you. I will heal you. I will protect you. You'll be an ever-flowing spring and I will bring you great honour. Okay, it's kind of like God saying, when you get this, when you really get what the kingdom of God is and what it is to walk as a Christian in that, he goes, I'm listening. I'm going to bring favour upon your life. I'm going to bless you. That's when we get his attention. All right, is that making sense? You with me? And back in, back in 2004, I'll be honest with you, I'll be transparent today. I was just sitting in church. I, uh, I would say I was just a... Normal Christian, come to church, lift my hands, go back during the week. But something bugged me. I'd put a few dollars in the plate, I'd say the right things. And people would look at me and go, well, Dave seems like he's really on fire for God. But you know what? I wasn't. I wasn't on fire for him. And my life didn't really fit in the Bible. You wouldn't turn the Bible and read all these stories and acts and these people going out there and building the kingdom and then turn the page and it says, and there there was David. And uh, he went to church on Sunday and lived in a a, a suburb of Australia and uh, did his stuff during the week and returned on Sunday. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Reading that, you wouldn't be inspired, inspired, would you? You wouldn't be reading through Acts and going, man, you've got to read this story about David. He goes to church on Sunday and does it the week after that. It's awesome. And then he retires and plays bingo. This is awesome. Would you? Where do you find that in the Bible? And I'm doing it. Going, man, I'm a good Christian and I'm rocking it. And God's going, man, come on. And I started to think... What is it, God? What am I missing? And I sat down and I'm speaking to some friends of mine and they start telling me about Sudan and the genocide in Sudan. 400,000 people killed, right? Did you hear about it? Not many people heard about this, right? You hear about 9-11, 3,000 people dying, documentary after documentary after documentary. Meanwhile, 400,000 people are slaughtered basically by their own government and the world turns a blind eye. And I thought about that, I thought, that's, cr- like, that, that's crazy. How can that happen in today's society? We t- we're basically turning the music up and singing louder. And I got sick of my excuses. I got sick of just doing the Sunday thing. I said, that's enough. And I started to pray and said, Lord, I want to know my assignment. What is my assignment on planet Earth? I mean, the Bible said in Psalm 139, he saw you in your mother's womb. All your days were numbered. Each of you, every single one of us, we have an assignment. We have a purpose. And I started to, I started to focus on that and I prayed and I fasted. And I thought, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find out what my purpose is. I said, you know, I'll do whatever. And I just focused on God and I just, got, just, just spent time with him. Time with him and I, started, I was um, fasting one week. And at the end of the week, it's five o'clock, and I get this phone call from my pastor, and he starts to download all this stuff. And there it was. There it was. I started to discover my assignment and my purpose for my life. And it was three things. One was to fund the kingdom of God with the entrepreneurial gift he's given me. Number two was to teach, like I am here today, the kingdom of God. And number three, the one I was most uncomfortable with, was to actually conduct crusades on the continent of Africa. Now, you've got to remember, I, 
I'm, I'm more of a business guy, right? And I get this friend, and I thought, you know what? I have there was something stirring in me. I had this passion. I thought, you know what? That's 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 what I want to do. And I, I got to do all three. I'm like, Lord, it's me. I I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not called to do this. How could I do any of these things? Have you ever felt like that? Inadequate. And when you look through the Bible, you look at Saul, he was heads and shoulders above everyone else, but they found him hiding in the luggage when he was called, right? Moses, he like had a, a speech impediment, or I should say a peach impediment, okay? <laughs> he was like, I can't talk, I can't lead, I can't do this thing. None of them felt like they had what it took to actually do their assignment. But you know what? They did one thing well, they just obeyed. And they did it and something happened. I thought to the Lord, you know what? I'll do this. I'm just going to obey. And I remember an email came into my inbox and it basically said, uh, it was from Reinhard Bonnke's office because on their mailing list he said, we're going to do a program for 40 people. We're going to train them you know, in evangelism and for cru crusades. I thought, I'll apply for that. And in the application, things like, tell me about your experience and how many crusades you've done, all this. <laughs> What's your ministry? I didn't have a ministry name, so I made one up. I just called it Hope Ministries because I was hoping I'd get in. <laughs> and so I just, I just apply, right? And so I had some pastor friends come around to my house and they said, what's happening in your life? I said, well, I believe God's got an assignment for me and part of it is to do crusades. I've applied for it. And they're like... You, you've applied for it. I go, yeah. You know when you have encouraging Christian friends? <laughs> have you ever had that? And they're like, you've applied? Yeah, I said, yeah, me, me, David. Well, you know, maybe you should rethink that. <laughs> I said, thanks so much for encouragement. I love you guys. And uh, anyway, I still applied. Anyway, to cut a, long, a very long story short, they came back. And initially, it came back and said, sorry, no, you've been rejected. That's it. And I thought, well, God, this is my calling. It's not happening. And why isn't it happening? You sh I should be called to this thing. Why, why, you know, you prophesy over me, you do all this stuff. It's not happening. You ever felt like that? It's not happening in your life? And I'll be honest with you. I actually, I had a pity party. Has anyone ever had a pity party? I actually got really sad. And I'm going to admit this to you. I actually deliberately put on sad music. <laughs> now that's sad. That's sad that I put on sad music. Because I thought if I'm going to get depressed about it, I may as well do it really well. I was the CEO of my own pity party, but no one turned up. So after about 48 hours of feeling sorry for myself, I thought, no, what? I'm going to keep pursuing that, all right? And about four weeks later, I get this letter from Reinhard Bonnke's manager. It says, Reinhard's been out praying, and he feels not to leave out the Davids in the sheep pen. In other words, those people that are anointed for, for ministry but aren't in full-time ministry. And they said, based on that, Reinhard would like to invite you to Orlando for two days to mentor you. And I came into the kitchen uh, where my wife was. Not that she's always in the kitchen. But, uh, and I said, babe, I said, you never guess what happened. They accepted me. And she goes, you know, we're hugging them, we're jumping up and down. And, 
uh, just this celebration. I said, I can't believe it, it's me. Like Because he, he's only mentoring about 40 people, okay, out of 17,000 applications. And I'm like, it's me. Like, honestly, me? And so, and so that happened, and so I ran into these other pastors that came over to my house. Anyway, I just said I got accepted. I was very humble about it. And they're like, what? Really? I go, yeah, I'm going. Oh, well, we kind of knew you were called to that. <laughs> yeah, right, good one. So I come back and I thought, okay, how do I start? Okay, I've had this training. I went over there for two days. It was awesome. had this training. I thought, well, okay, I'm running my businesses. I'm teaching at places like that. I'm doing my assignment now. Things are going well. How do I do a crusade? Don't really know how to do it. said to my wife, I'll book a plane. I'll go and watch someone that does it. So... Bonky's group referred me to someone over there, got on a plane, got over there. I thought, this is it, I'm, you know, I'm there to save the world and I'm all pumped up. And I get over there and I've got this suit on, it's about 40 degrees this day, and I'm sweating. I just got there. I'm there to watch how they do crusades. And they say, I'll invite you to a pastor's lunch. So we go to this pastor's lunch and I'm in this little corrugated iron uh, building, which is a church over there, and I am sweating. It's, a, it's honestly about 50 degrees in there. I'm half jet-lagged, right? I'm sweating. I'm thinking, how can this be my calling, Lord? And they said, we're going to eat. And I felt really crook from the trip. I was like, you know, when you're jet-lagged and you feel a bit, you know, ordinary? And they said, we'll eat. And I said, great. And they bring out this, bring out this big plate. In the middle of it, they plonk a sausage, Right, but this wasn't any ordinary sausage. It was kind of half alive, <laughs> if that makes sense. And this sausage is looking at me, and I'm looking at it. And I'm going, you're serious? You want me to eat you? And it's kind of going, yes, eat me. And I'm like, no. And, and the pastors, like, they grab their sausage, and they're hooking in. They're going, this is so yummy. And I thought, oh, I can't eat this. But I didn't want to offend them. So I said, look at the scripture up on the wall over there. They looked at the scripture as they did that. I grabbed the sausage and shoved it in my pocket. And, I, and went, mmm, nice. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. So then they pile me into this back of this Land Cruiser. I'm in between two pastors in the back and I've got a sausage in my pocket. I'm thinking, how do I deal with the sausage? And I'm in this car for about, you know, six or seven hours. I'm thinking, my goodness, this can't be my calling, Lord. How did I end up with a sausage in my pocket sweating in the back of a Land Cruiser, right? I'm meant to be, I'm meant to be preaching to the lost, okay? And I can't even save the sausage. And so I'm in the back and I'm dying. This thing's starting to smell. It's, it, needs, it needed saving, I'll tell you. And so they drop me off to this pastor's house and they, they say, meet these pastors, I haven't met them before. They take me into this house that's the size of probably an ordinary, you know, a small house over here. Everything's locked up, right? It's about 70 degrees in the house. And, and they don't waste anything over there, right? So let me ask you a question. There's no bin. Where do you ditch the sausage? In the toilet, good thinking, your lateral thinker's here. So I go into the bathroom and he says to me, because the electrics don't work over there, he says, listen, here's the bucket of water. He says half bucket for number ones, full bucket for number twos. Yep, spot on, no worries. Go in there, place the sausage in the toilet, 
<laughs> right? I can't believe this, right? I like it. This is, this is like Mr. Bean, right? <laughs> and so I get, I get half a bucket and I go like this and the thing goes, and it pops back up. It's like a Schwarzenegger sausage. It's like, I'll be back. And I'm like, I can't, like, I'm dying. So I hold the bucket high, I do it again, pops back up. I'm like, so I'm empty. So what do I have to do? I walk back out with the bucket. And I go to the pasta. I need another bucket of water. And he looks at me. He goes, what's wrong with you? You know, like, I've got, I said, I'm sorry, I've got some issues in there. <laughs> and so it gives, me, it gives me a whole bucket of water. I go back in, I thought, I'm going to make this work. And so I weigh it down with toilet paper. I put toilet paper on. I'm going to make sure this thing goes. It's resistant. It had more faith than me at the time. <laughs> and so I got the bucket and I poured it and it went, like a lot of commotion. And then it disappeared. And I could hear the angels from heaven. Hallelujah! It was a miracle. I got rid of the sausage. So that, that, that was really good. This is a true story. It's not based on a true story. Okay? I'm like going, Lord, surely this is not my call. I can't even get rid of a sausage. So I learned about the Crusades and how to run them. I came back to Australia. And this is when I went through what I call the pit experience. Basically, a time we had businesses and we had the GFC, right? Everyone remembers that. Most of you probably, and in some way, probably got affected like I did. We all got affected. And so at that time, we had a business, we, a very good business. We'd built up over a, a few years, had about $21 million worth of assets and things were going well and lost it pretty much all through persecution from this financial company, which illegally persecuted us, all right? lost everything. Remember, we were basically half a million dollars in debt. Everything's kind of gone. And I remember going to my wife. I sat down and I had a coffee with her. And I said, listen, I felt like I had failed as a husband. I don't know if any of you relate to that. And I said, sorry. And I said to her, you can leave me if you want. That's the place I got to. I'm trying to summarize really quickly today, but that's the place I got to over about a year or two. I said, I'm sorry, babe. And she said, I don't care about the money. She said, even if we have to live in a tent or on the street, she goes, I'm going to stick with you right till the end. I got a beautiful wife. And it was like God was speaking to me as she said that, saying, I am with you. I am with you. It was a turning point. And we prayed on the beach that night. And I remember at that time thinking to myself, well, what is it, Lord? Why did I lose everything? And he spoke to me very clearly. He said, you were doing your assignment your way, not my way. You were doing your assignment your way and not my way. And as I started to look through the scriptures, I go, how do I do it your way, Lord? How do I do it your way? What is your way? You know, when you look through the scriptures for thousands of years, he's been trying to get our attention, do it my way. You know, when they came out of Babylon, all right, Haggai was sent, and he said twice in, in a couple of scriptures, one after the other, give careful thoughts to your ways. It says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put your clothes on, but you're not warm. 
You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you bought home, I blew blew away. And that's what I felt like. Everything had been blown away. And the reason why is the same reason Haggai is speaking to these people here. I was still caught up in Babylon. I was like a ship in the ocean. I was comparing myself to other ships going, well, they kind of do that. That's fine. But hadn't realized how far I drifted from the shoreline. And the shoreline represented what it meant to do things God's way. Right? God's God's way. I wasn't doing it God's way. I remember thinking back over that time. I thought, well, Lord, where did I go wrong? And he said, and he reminded me. And there was a deal that we did once on a, 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 a development property where we got a development approval through. Uh, we bought the property for about a million dollars. We're going to sell it for five million dollars a year later. And I went back to the real estate agent and said, I want 5.5. The real estate agent said the purchaser is going to think about it. Whilst the purchaser th- thought about it, the market crashed. We lost that whole deal, but not just lost the deal. We ended up selling the property for less than what we bought it for. I said, Lord, why is that? And he said, you were caught up in Babylon. That was greed. You had greed operating in you. And I'll be honest with you, I did. I would tell you I'm doing it for the kingdom, but there it was just sneaky, right? I had another friend of mine who at that time, uh, sorry, not at that time, a bit later, he was telling me, you see, when we operate out of Babylon, we create poor people in the marketplace. This is what, this, this what, what brings much of the social distress. My friend went to buy a piece of real estate and the agent said, These, this family, it's a family of two parents with uh, five children. They're so desperate, they need to sell. My friend, what have we been taught to do? Jack the price up or bring it down? Negotiate, get it down, enrich ourselves normally at the expense of someone else. That's what we're being taught to do. That is completely countercultural to God's economy. That's Babylon operating, right? So he starts saying, oh, knock you down. And then the Lord speaks to him and said, you do that to those people, you're going to put them out on the street. So he went and sat down with them and he's talking to them. He said, well, what happens if I, if I buy it for the price of toll? He said, the people said, we will literally end up on the street. And there it was again. Our culture, the Babylonian culture, right? We, adopt, we have adopted that, all right? We've been taught from the cradle to the grave, squash the competition, get the best deal for you, right? This is how it operates. He went back to them and said, you know what? I'm going to pay you more for that property. He paid them more for the property than it was worth. They were able to go to another property. They were kept off the streets. They ended up rebuilding, living a, you know, a, a good life. And then God started blessing my friend. Favor started coming upon him because he did it what? God's way. All right? That's what he wants in the marketplace. You know, he doesn't want us caught up in the greed and corruption of Babylon. And I thought to myself, how do I do that? How do I do it God's way specifically in the marketplace? What do I do? How do I do that, Lord? And he started speaking to me. And the first thing he said to me, he said, you've become lukewarm. He said, if you want to hear from me, draw close to me. And I have a question for you tonight, today, sorry. Where are you at right now with the Lord? Where are you at? Are you in love with Him? Like, are you truly in love with Him? Or are you just kind of like doing what I was doing, the Sunday thing? 
You know, if God was to appear here right now, what would he say about the relationship he has with you? Would he say, yes, you're on fire with me, you're on fire with me? Or would he honestly say, you've just become lukewarm, you've just started to do your thing, the Sunday thing? I say that because this is crucial to your assignment. I say it's absolutely intimacy with the Lord. So let me ask you a quick question. If, if you were FBI reporters, all right, and you had to interview me to find out if I loved my wife, all right, what would you ask me? Yeah, and you can talk to me now. What would you ask me? Yeah, so how much time do you spend with your wife? What else would you ask me? Would I die for her? Yeah. Do I serve her? Do I give her gifts and presents? What else would you ask me? Do I think about her? Yes, that's a good one. Do I show her affection? Yeah? Consider her needs. What else? Am I open with her? Am I honest? Do I care about her assignment? Do I put her first? Some... Do I listen to her? Yes. Someone asked me, do I put the rubbish out for her? I, I do. <laughs> some, of, some of you were nervous about that. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you a question or questions. Are you willing to die for the Lord? Are you spending time with Him? Are you serving Him? Are you thinking about him? Are you affectionate towards him? Are you open and honest with him? Are you concerned about his assignment on earth? Do you put him first? Do you listen? You know, maybe for some of you that's challenging to hear today, but it's the essence of everything that we do. If you haven't got that, he says, I am the vine, you are the branch. All right? He says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So he's saying you're connected to me, you're connected to the vine, you're going to bear fruit. And this is what he's saying to me. He's saying, David, it's not that complicated. You, you're doing your assignment, but you're not doing it my way. You do it by my way by starting off with that intimacy. Then you just, it's automatic. You're going to produce fruit. I was like a constipated vine. I'm over there like going, trying to squeeze out fruit, right? And it's not happening. Some of you can identify with that, I know, right? Right, you're just like, and it's not happening, all right? We come back, we connect to the vine, and we produce fruit automatically. It's a promise from him. And as I started to do that, things started to fall into place. And it wasn't like, oh, we're going to have prayer at church, and I'm like, oh, bummer, I've got to go pray. Or, you know what, you've got to give to Hope Missions. Oh, really? I've got to fork out money for that now, do I? Because that's what you get like when you drift away from the Lord. But when I first met Simone, I'm so in love with her, and I'm like, she goes, I'll meet you at the coffee shop. Yeah, all right. She'll go, can you lend me some money? Yep. You know, do you want to go over here? Yes. Can you, can you come and pick me up at 3 a.m. in the morning? Yes. I'm like, yes, I'm in love with you. And then we sometimes approach God like, oh, you want me to spend time with you? And I have to do those, that prayer thing and I've got to 
And it just shows we've fallen out of love. And God wants us to approach him and go, man, I'm so in love with you. I spend time with you. I just Imagine if as a church, everyone, we were completely surrendered to the Lord. We were so in love with him. We would turn the world upside down overnight. We'd be just like, I'll give you everything. You know, one of the stats, they did a survey throughout the States and only 5 to 7% of people tithe. And I ask myself the question, why? And I'll tell you why. We're caught up in Babylon, fear, greed and corruption. We think that if we don't tithe, we're missing out on something. Imagine if everyone, 2 billion people, Christians in the world, tithed. Imagine that. We've got to get out of Babylon. Sometimes we don't even realise that we're stuck in it. Does that make sense to you? And so the Lord is speaking to me. So as this happens, then he starts revealing to me his plan, doing things God's way. All right? If you flick to the next slide. Yeah, when he spoke to Abraham, he plucked Abraham out of Babylon. Right? That's the first thing he did. Then when he's speaking to Abraham in this scripture here, in Genesis 18, he says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right, which is the word Sadaka, and just, which is Mishpat, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised him. And there the Lord is saying, I've plucked you out of Babylon. This is my way. And I haven't got time today to go into this in detail. But what I want to point out is the way of the Lord is Sadaka. Now, what that means is it's a common terminology, but it, it refers to righteousness and generosity. You know, when before Andrew said it was accounted to Abraham for his righteousness, that word righteousness is translated to sadaka, which means it was accounted to him for his generosity and righteousness. It's one of the same, they're interconnected, right? Now flick to the next slide. Some of the things it means are the following, okay? It's commonly understood that it serves many of the biblical commandments designed to help bring in God's kingdom to the world, e.g. gleaning, interest-free loans, social support to the poor and needy, tithing, all right? Not just tithing as in tithing to the church. The model that he's talking about there was a four-part tithing model, which the first two tithes went to the church to fund the church because that was the spiritual covering in the marketplace. The next two tithes was for bringing restoration to the poor and needy, okay? And connecting with people through festivals, so that's what he's talking about. Now, here's the interesting thing I want to bring to point. I track this through the whole Bible. If you go to the next slide. All right. From Abraham through multiple generations, you see a pattern here. The same word, Sadaka and Mishpat. David reigned over Israel through Mishpat and Sadaka. Solomon reigned through reigned Israel through Mishpat and Sadaka. There's a pattern. It came from Abraham. Right down through, Solomon was the first person on the planet to bring God's kingdom to earth. We call it a sheep nation. Okay, so after he built the temple and the palace, the navy, the military, there was no unemployment, no homelessness, no crime, no poverty, no prostitution. Everyone prospered because he did it God's way. All right? He did that 3,000 years ago. 
Whole nation. Can you imagine that nation? Can you imagine Australia like that? No poverty, no crime, no prostitution. We can do it in this nation. We can actually do it. All right? We can do it. All right? If we got it, the tipping point in this nation is 5 to 6%. So 5 to 6% of the population, which is certainly more, there's more than enough Christians, all right? 5 to 6%. If we start to truly understand what it means to bring in God's kingdom, all right, we can change this world. We can change Australia. We can bring Australia into a alignment with this as God's kingdom, where there is no crime, no poverty, no prostitution. It starts with us. The cultural context is here in, in this is God wants us to oust Babylon from our life and bring in things and do it his way. And if we do that, we can actually change this nation. Now, it's okay to feed the hungry and do all, all of that type of thing. That is awesome. But I'm talking here about fixing the root causes. Why are there homeless people on the street? Why are people in poverty? Why are they in sex slavery? And I'll tell you why. The reason for that is because of our culture of greed and corruption. Okay, like the deal I said before, the guy I did with real estate, that, put people, that would put those people on the street, all right? We start to trade that way. God starts to prosper us in our own lives. So you say, well, how, did that ha- how does that happen? So for me, there I was, lost everything, have this one small business, which is a childcare business that was struggling. So I started to do things God's way, all right? I started methodically, all right, looking at how can I bring God's way into the marketplace with staff, with clients. This was out of love, not out of like, oh, this is a system, all right? Does that make sense? So started doing things like, you know, we find out someone's got cancer, we'd do a fundraiser for, for them, we would do, th- you know, stuff like that. We would, I'd start be giving more to the staff, right, rewarding them, bringing in flowers, doing all this stuff, not out of like, this is a system, but just doing it God's way. As I'm doing that, God speaks to me about an idea with the childcare to extend it. Never seen it before. Never seen it before for five years. It just, it just comes to me. I'm standing out the back of it, all right? In a very short period of time, we got an approval for the childcare to extend it, and it increased the value of the childcare in three months by a million dollars. And there God was saying to me, I'm not saying, and, and hear me right here, I'm not saying, oh, well, one million dollars, wow, whoopee-doo. I'm saying it, look at what happens when we do it God's way, all right? There was God's favour. Started to, things are starting to turn at this point, and it's almost like I could feel that my life was starting to fit in the Bible more. Does, is this making sense? Then he taught me the gleaning principle from Ruth 2. This is really important, okay? So this is, what I, this is kind of what I want to finish off with. There was Ruth and Naomi. They were starving, all right? They came to Boaz. I'm going to summarise this quickly. Boaz has some options. He can do nothing, right? Which is what we can do with starving and, and, and people in social distress. Or he could feed them. Now, feeding them is like having the tap running all the time and mopping up the water. All right? If you just keep feeding someone that's hungry, that's great and that's a temporary solution. But what happens when you run out of food? All right? They still... You, do you get that? You don't preserve their dignity. They don't get out of that... They don't break that pattern, all right? So what he does, he does something different. He implements the principle of gleaning, all right, which is a third option. 
And it says in, if you go to the next slide, it says in Leviticus 19.9, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. So what he's saying, Boaz at that time, everyone else was struggling. He was prospering. He was prospering. Now, why is that? Why? It's a famine. He's prospering. Everyone else isn't. The reason for that is he's implementing this principle of gleaning. God's favour was starting to rest upon him. Now, scholars believe that he gave 10 times the daily need to Ruth. So she'd come around the fields, pick up the gleanings, and she would go and then make food. Now, she wasn't eating all of that. She was making that. All right. Enabled, she ate some for her and Naomi, but the rest of it, she was able to start trading. He created what I call a person of means and broke the poverty cycle. Is this making sense to you? All right. All of a sudden, that is God's economy working, right? In the marketplace. All right. Rather than just giving a few dollars, sorry, a few bits of food. It lifted her out of that, preserved her dignity, and she started to operate again. Now, one of the important principles I want to share with you now is the Israelites and Boaz understood this, and this is different to our culture. We think when we tithe or we think when we allow people to come into our harvest that it's our money. Now, sadaka, the true sense of the word sadaka doesn't mean that. If I have $100 now and I decide to give it to Andrew, you would say, I'm generous, right? That's generosity. This is part of tzedakah, right? Righteousness, if I owed him $100 and gave him that $100, that is righteousness or, or, or justice, right? Makes sense. Now I have a question for you. If someone over here gives me $100 and I just decide to bless Andrew with it, am I generous? Yes or no? Some of you aren't sure, are you? If I owed him the $100 and I got it from that person over there, came through me to him, am I righteous? Am I just? Okay, there's different answers here, all right? This is what I'll say. Sadaka separates ownership from stewardship. Okay, in the first example, I think I'm the, an owner of my money. All right. In the second example, God is the owner of my money. In this example of gleaning I just gave you, the Israelites, if they didn't allow people to come and glean from their harvest, they would view it as they, that they're stealing from God, God's money. If you get a shift in your head from ownership to stewardship, it changes everything. And then people are able to glean from you. And as people start to glean from you, okay, he doesn't just bless the person that's receiving it because we're just pipes, all right, from God. We're just sheep, we're vines, we're pipes. But we are, we're just pipes from the kingdom of God into and funneling into people's lives, all right. This is what they understood by gleaning, all right. Difference between ownership and stewardship. Then I started to apply this in my life and I'll finish with this story. So there I was. Things are starting to happen for me. There was a situation where I went to someone's home. They were, they were basically selling it, all right? I thought I could buy the home, put a development approval on, and do okay from it. I went to them. The real estate agent said, they're broke. You can get a good deal. You can buy that and, and get them right down, all right? 
what would most people do? They go, great, I can just screw these guys down. I said, no, I want to go meet with them. I sat down with them. Tell me your story. We're struggling. We don't have much money in our pocket. We've got a pet store business. Things aren't going well. I said, okay, I'd like to buy a property. I don't want to buy it now. I'll buy it in 18 months. It'll take me 18 months to get the development approval through. I said, what do you need? They said, we need cash flow. I said, great. I said, we'll cash flow you every month. $1,500 a month the next 18 months, and we'll give you some money up front. I said, would you be happy with that? Yes, we would be stoked. That would be, uh, that would be unbelievable. I said, look, I don't know if I can buy a property at the end of the 18 months, but you'll end up with about $40,000 anyway. Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. That's great. Did it. At the end of the 18 months, we had the development approval through. We got that through, and we were able to sell the property to someone else, and I was able to buy their property at the same time, all right? So rather than buying their property for, I think it was around $400,000, we paid them $600,000 for it. So they ended up, right, making approximately, with everything all done, $200,000 more than what a typical person in the market would pay. They came back to me and they said, we are just so, we just can't believe it. We are just so blessed and like our business is back on track. We're not on the streets. Okay, we're so happy. And there it was, God showing me. But here's the point I want to make. As we did that deal, okay, the profit on that deal was meant to be around $500,000 to us. It ended up being about 1.2. And I'm not, again, please hear my heart here. I'm not saying, I'm not throwing the figures around. I'm giving you figures because I want to be accurate. But I'm saying to you, it's God's money. God did the deal because we're doing it God's way. Is that making sense? And so as I started to go through this, God continued to bring favour into our lives. Things started to happen and we, we're implementing this throughout our business, okay? Doing our assignment, being intimate with the Lord, doing things like gleaning and ousting that. And here's the, here's the thing. Have I got a few more minutes to finish off? Okay. Here's the cool thing. As we start doing this, God starts to bring more favour, all right? And as I start to teach this in churches, we've now got this type of message, okay, on the kingdom of God. We've now got demand all around the world. Germany, Ukraine, Russia, Lebanon, Dubai, US, Malaysia. And they're not wanting me, which is cool because I'm Mr. Bean. They're, they're, they're wanting the teaching because people are going, I'm getting it now. Okay, you've got, it's the first message I've given you today, but people are starting to get, I'm starting to understand the kingdom of God, yeah? And people are starting to go, I can make a difference in the marketplace. Here's the inter interesting thing. When you start to implement this in your lives, it can lead from a local strategy, which is here, into a national strategy. If you go to the next slide, this is what I want to finish off on. In this slide, how did King David and Solomon bring the sheep nation in? It started with Boaz and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth, their grandson was David. Boaz and Ruth started the principle of gleaning, generosity, righteousness, allowing people to harvest and creating people of means. Then it went from a local strategy to a national strategy and then the kingdom of God was brought into the nation of Israel. Amen? That's what we can do. We can start that right here. You can start that in your lives tomorrow. Okay, there's a lot more teaching on it, but I'm saying you can start it. And to, to, to close, this is, where God, this is where God came in with me 
So I went back to Africa. And we're going back there, and God's just opening, saying, David, you're starting to get it. You're starting to do it God's way now, all right? And I'm going over there to do a crusade, and it's in a very difficult place in Africa, right? It's, it's a Muslim town. The gospel had never been preached there before, all right? Never been preached there. They were burning Christian businesses the week before I got there. They, a, a church two hours up the road had been bombed. And God, God's saying to me, go, I'm like, you serious? The gospel's never been preached there. And he said, you either obey me or the world. All my family, friends, don't go. You're an idiot. They didn't say, you're an idiot. They said, yeah, you know what I mean. And I'm going, I prayed about it and God said, go. He said, go. And I remember saying goodbye to my little girl. She's seven years old and she's hanging around my legs saying, don't go, daddy. It's like a scene out of a movie. She's crying, I'm crying, everyone's crying. And I'm like, I I have to go. And I go and I get over to this town and it's tense and the pastors, there's only a, a small group of pastors in this town. And you know what God says to me? God says to me, put up a nine metre cross in the crusade field. And I'm like, no, you sure about that? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, mate, you want a nine metre cross? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, display me. I'm like, oh, really? You've got to remember there's mosques everywhere. This is like in the hills of about 200,000 people in this town, right? And went, okay. So we get a cross made. A Muslim man made the cross. And they said the last thing they saw was him sprinting from the crusade field after he dropped it off. <laughs> True story. And so, so, yeah, God has a sense of humour. And so they put this cross up and I go, it's before the first night, and I'm like, wow, that's just so confronting. It's on the main road. It's this soccer field with a nine-metre cross. And I'm like, wow, okay. And... He goes, okay, this is what you're to do, to preach my gospel. Do not water down my gospel. And I'm like, okay. And it's funny. I don't know if you've ever been face to face with potential death, but something changes. You know, sitting in this room or at a coffee shop, you go, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And everyone goes, yahoo! But when you're in a hotel room and you've got 15 guards with AK-47s, and you're in a town with 200,000 Muslims, it changes everything, believe me. And God spoke to me, he said to me, he said, are you willing to die for me? That is a confronting question. Easy to say here, but when I was there, I'm like, I said, it wasn't like, yeah, that's fine, not a problem. Yeah, <laughs> easy. I said, yes, I am. I, I am willing to. And I remember going to the crusade field that night and they were expecting maybe two or three hundred people to turn up, if that. Okay, the town was only about three or four percent Christian. I remember walking, I had the guards, AK-47, standing around and they handed me the microphone. I remember walking up onto the platform and thinking, this could be it. And my heart was pounding it. And you could hear a pin drop. But here's the miracle. Something happens when you do your assignment and you step out for the Lord in faith, when you do it God's way. And I'm there, and something miraculous happened that week and with the crusade following that. And they're only expecting a few, but that's not what happened. God had another agenda. 
I just want to show a two-minute clip. This is what this is what ha this basically what happened. Just just have a quick look at this, and I'll, I'll finish the story. 